Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Roger Lee. It's good to see a lot of friends that we know and just people over the years. I'm here with my wife and three of my little girls here. And so they were able to make it tonight. Um, I, I have a lot on my heart. God is raising up in this hour. He's raising up messengers, forerunners, leaders, and God is preparing them uniquely for the dynamics ahead. And uh, when we, I moved here in 99, uh, the Lord spoke to me. I came from Kansas City. I was there for a couple years with my wife there at a discipleship program uh, in the church there at Mount Michael. And as I was uh, driving in here to Sarasota, I heard the Lord say, you're gonna have five years of death. And I was 24, I was ready to preach and ready to run and do ministry, and I didn't understand what he was telling me. I just said, you know, a little bit dying, but I didn't understand the wilderness and why God would do that. And that turned into five, 10 to 12 years, which means you know, I probably have a hard head. You know, I'm not understanding what well, God's saying. And uh, he really took us through a season of death Dying to vision, dying to the flesh, dying to our dreams, dying to whatever you call it. Uh, and it's part of our life journey uh, and many principles we learned from the life of John the Baptist. And it's not that God doesn't want to use his people, it's that he wants to use us through his strength and through his power. It said the seed must die so that resurrection life can come. And he's more interested in our character and will take us through years at times. Of wilderness and crafting and revealing and preparing of the heart so that when he does move and God moves suddenly I tell you he speaks for a long time but when he moves he moves suddenly and those suddenlies you can't prepare for unless God's done a work in your life and so uh, I love teaching on the wilderness one of my favorite things I love people being crushed <laughs> by the pressure of God and the fire of God because, you know, in Hebrews it says discipline is not joyful during the moment or the season. But man, if we yield to it, it provides that peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I've seen that in my life and others where God is like meticulous about our lives. Things that he won't allow us to do. Or things he won't allow us to start or go. And you're like, God, why, why, why? And yet, when we can step back and see His wisdom in our lives, I'm so grateful for it. And so that's, uh, and I believe God's raising up forums all over the earth right now, especially the young generation. So I want to actually give this to Pastor Gene. I saw him out there. I'm so, the You're a baller? Why'd you do that? Let's keep it. Pick somebody or something. Alright, well, let's turn to Joel, Joel chapter 1. 
should have done that, Pastor Gene. <laughs> I gotta refund this. <laughs> so, um, I I have something here, six pages long, <laughs> notes. Uh, I usually do notes, but I didn't do it this time. I have something on my heart to share uh, about stewarding the burden of God, the oracle of the Lord. And I want to get into it a little bit, but last night, uh, we had a revival prayer night. So the first Friday of the month from 6 to 12, we're there. The Lord starts stirring something in my heart. Uh, and then again today. And so I want to go with that, and then I'm going to try to implement some of this. Okay? So it's out of Joel. Chapters 1 and 2. So if you know the book of Joel, Joel the prophet is being raised up to address and confront the nation of Judah. And he's doing it in a time of crisis. There's a military crisis in the land. And there's an economic crisis in the land. It talks about the locust eating. It talks about there's no grain. There's... there's um, there's no food, there's no wine. And as an agricultural society back then, it meant there was no grain, there was no finances, there was no uh, economics or debt. And so in their day, there was a crisis in the land. In verse 6, it tells us that a nation has invaded my land. And so there's a military crisis as well. And it's in this context, God raises up this prophet to sound the alarm or to give a warning to wake up the nation. Because if we know Israel's history and the history of Judah, God spoke to Judah for years and to Israel, but the, the, um, the Assyrians came and they wiped out the northern uh, country of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. God sent the Assyrians to judge them and to discipline them. And then... Judah, the, the two southern tribes, as they watched that, they were actually supposed to learn from that and to repent. They were to see God's ways, understand that God's, God does bring judgment at times, and, and seeing what happened to their northern brethren, they were to repent, and instead they didn't, and, and uh, the prophet Jeremiah said, you're worse off than your northern brethren, you're worse off than Israel, because you saw what God did, but your hearts were hardened, and you didn't repent and turn when you saw God's ways. And so the prophet Habakkuk, and Habakkuk 1 says, uh, as Habakkuk's crying out, saying, God, do something. Why are you allowing violence to rule and to reign in the land, the promised land of Judah? He's crying out to the Lord, and God says, I am doing something. You'll be astonished when you understand it. And he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, or Babylonians, I'm raising them up to come and judge your nation. And then the Baptist says, how can that be? The Chaldeans, they are way worse than we are. And it's God's ways. Well, in the midst of this, the prophet Joel, he's warning the nation as well. He's saying, it's time to wake up because there's... There's, uh, they're in the midst of a crisis and there's an impending crisis even more yet to come. And I believe that God is sounding the alarm in our nation right now. He has been, but not we don't have ears to hear what He's saying. Instead, we look at our own strength 
the 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 or the vibrancy of our economy right now, many in the charismatic circles they point to President Trump as a savior type, you know, saying he's in office now, and he is in office, and I believe God placed him there according to the scriptures, and he might be a Cyrus of Isaiah 45, and I believe all those things are true, but we have to be able to take a step back and understand the bigger picture of what God is saying to our nation. And when you look at the history of Judah and of Israel, God brought, God spoke judgment to them for years through many kings. And yet, in the midst of that, God brought a reprieve and a revival and a restoration, a reformation in the king, in King Josiah. And so they went back to the law, they brought the Passover sacrifice, they held the line, they restored many things. But right after Josiah died, very soon after, God brought judgment and the, and the Babylonians came. And so in God's economy, when He warns a nation and, call, and tells us to turn and to repent and to understand and to turn our hearts, it's not separate from revival, reformation, uh, God's mercy coming to a nation and visiting us with revival. Because I believe God's speaking into our nation, saying that there is impending judgment coming into our nation. Beloved, over 50 million babies, the blood of babies, on our soil. He doesn't just overlook that. Right? Our, there's a moral crisis in our nation, and I know you know that. And so He doesn't just overlook that and say, you know what, I really like you, it's okay, I'm going to send my spirit, you'll have revival, you'll have a few good meetings, a few people will get saved, and you'll keep going on with life as normal. That's not who God is. Instead, He's warning us, saying, it's time to wake up, He's sounding the alarm as they were doing in the days of Joel. And he's saying, it's time to turn our hearts and to return to the Lord and come back into the house of God. At the same time, though he's warning, I believe, for our nation, and I know Pastor Brian as well has, uh, has a, a burden for our nation, he carries, that God is going to visit us with uh, awakening and revival. It says, I believe it says mercy, a time of refuge that He's giving to us. And so there's no contradictory or dichotomy in God's heart when He says both of these things. When He gives us the burden to pray and to fast and seek for revival, and yet at the same time, the bigger picture is, I am going to bring judgment into your nation. There's no dichotomy in God's heart. And so in the book of Joel... He says in, in verse 1, chapter 14, He says, Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. Look what He tells us to do in the midst of crisis. He says, Go to the house of your God and cry out to the Lord. <coughs> Look, this is the response that He wants. He wants us to wake up from our slumber and wake up from playing church in the with the American dream. And He wants us to return back into His house, which is the house of prayer. And say, come and cry out to me on behalf of your nation. Come and see what I want to do. He wants to release mercy. In chapter 2 He says, who knows? He might relent and leave a blessing behind. But I believe He is looking for communities and churches like this who will be able to steward and carry the heart of God, the burden of the Lord in the place of intercession and prayer and worship, to be able to minister to the Lord for the sake of our nation. 
He's coming not because we don't understand. He's coming actually because we do understand that. And He's saying, you have a bit of my heart. And I say, He's saying, now come and listen to what I'm saying that your lifestyle will reflect in a change. It's not enough to go to a meeting once a week. It's not enough to just go to a Bible study or come to Saturday night. The worship was wonderful. I love Cody and said, I've known him for years. And they're wonderful. Well, if this is not enough, you'll starve if this is your diet. Because those days of 10 minutes of devotions won't sustain you. They're over. Okay? That's, that's no longer the American dream. Instead, we have to give everything to the Lord because He is preparing a generation to sound the alarm and to walk in His promises for our nation. And so here in chapter 1, verse 14, He says, Come to the house of God. He said, gather together corporately and cry out to the Lord on behalf of our nation, on behalf of the nation. Chapter 2, and verse 1. He says, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. He's saying, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. He's saying, he's saying sound the alarm. I believe he's raising up messengers in this hour that will speak God's heart and sound the alarm without fear. That they will be able to go in and speak what God's speaking without the fear of man, without worrying about tithes and offerings and how much they make and who won't like them and who will defriend them. Instead, they have the backbone because they've been with Jesus to say, here's what God is saying in this hour, and they will say it without apology. They'll have boldness in the presence of God so that they can have boldness in the presence of people. And so he's raising this up and he's sounding this alarm. The trumpet, if we can hear in the spirit, I believe, the trumpet has been going off for years. And I believe President Trump is another one because God doesn't just um, discipline to get our attention. One of the final things he actually does, he actually releases blessing because he's saying, I want to bless you to get your attention in the hopes that you'll turn your heart to me. Remember, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's not just discipline, anger, and, and corrective words. God uses that sometimes, but a lot of times He actually blesses us, we don't understand it. We think we're being blessed because I'm so good. We're being blessed because I'm doing the right thing. And God's saying, no, I'm blessing you. I'm speaking to you. My favor's on you so that I can gain your attention. You'll come and listen to me. Right? That's what he did with Israel as well. And so he's sounding this alarm right now. And, and he's looking for groups that have ears to hear. I don't believe it. I, it's, it's personal, yes. But it's more than personal. I believe he's looking for congregations, corporations, uh, uh, groups of people together. Because there is power in the, in, the, in the prayer of agreement and intercession together. There's a difference between praying at home in your secret closet, Matthew 6, versus the corporate place of warfare and intercession together that draws the presence of God, Matthew 18. There's, there is a, a, a big difference between the two. Now we have to keep the secret place, as Sandra was saying, it's a secret place, but that is to lead us for greater intimacy and authority in the place of corporate intercession. Because He wants to use the corporate body together to, to steward His purposes. And so I believe as Joel 2, He's blowing the trumpet and it's like, are we hearing what He's saying? 
is our ear attuned to the, to the frequency of heaven right now and for our nation? Chapter 2, verse 12. This is a few verses in here. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Verse 13, he says, Rend your heart and not your garments. He's saying, I don't care what the externals look like that much. He does care, but not that much. But he's after our hearts. He's like, Will we give all that we are? Will he be our only trust? That's what he's after. Because will our hearts be pliable, tender before him? That as he speaks, because I believe he wants to release burdens or the oracle of God. It's the same word in the, in the Hebrew. The burden of the Lord or the oracle of the Lord. It's the same concept, same word. He wants to release that on the congregations that's able to take what's in God's heart, uh, uh, interpret it and carry it through ours, and then be able to partner with him to establish his kingdom into our nation. And he's looking for those places right now. And so to do that, he's saying, come and return to me. Come and return to me with all your heart. Come and fast. Come with humility. Come with sackcloth. Come with wailing. This is what God's after. He does not, he's not impressed by what we can do. Look at his resume. He did Genesis 1. He's not very impressed by what we do. He spoke and he created everything. He's not impressed by how, how much we can run things or how great of a speaker we are. Because God can do all these things. He's saying, no, what I'm after is a broken and contrite heart. Because it says, as eyes look to and fro for those hearts that are loyal to him. Well, that loyalty or a contrite heart is rare in the earth. From God's perspective, it's rare in the earth. And He's looking for those who are yielded, who are broken, who's after God on His terms. It's not God, what can you give me if I do this? Say, no, I'm fully yours. This is your garden. Come and eat. Come and delight. Come and do what you want. It's being yoked with Him. It's being, um, it's being bridled by Him. That's why... And love the wilderness because unless you go through seasons of discipline and seasons of wilderness, those things won't make sense. But when he starts bridling us and, and he really starts, um, uh, I just lost the word, um, he starts humbling us. It's like, it is, it's sweet in his presence. So here in verse 12, he's saying, Return to me, rend your hearts and not your garments. Verse 17, let's look at verse 17. It says again, this is what he's after. It says, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare your people, O Lord. It says, when we hear the alarm bells going off, what he's after is for the people of God. Beloved, we're all ministers. We're all in full-time ministry. It's the priesthood of all believers. So you have to, you have to uh, take that and you have to run with that. We are all called ministers. I don't believe he's talking to pastors here. It's like saying, you're, you're ahead of the prayer ministry, or you do evangelism, you preach. No, we're all called. Our primary calling is to stand before the Lord. Beloved, well, he has made a way through his blood. He has opened that veil in heaven above. He says, come boldly before that throne of grace. It is such a privilege that He's given to us and a responsibility 
that we don't shirk it on somebody else and say, saying, no, if we hear the alarm bells of heaven over our nation, He's saying, come and stand before me. Come and minister to me in the place of intercession. Say, come and cry out, say, God, have mercy on our nation. It says, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord. This is the response he's looking for. I believe he's looking for this response in verse 12 and verse 17, saying, it's time to humble our hearts. It's time to return to the Lord. And it's time to come into the house of God and to cry out to Him together. One of the things I appreciate about, about victory is there's a culture of prayer. There's a culture of prayer. But it's rare in the church right now. And that's sad to say. But there's not a culture of prayer in most churches. But he is saying, and I love what's here. He's saying, it's time to go to another level. It's time to carry that burden of God. And beloved, carrying the burden of the Lord will actually bring conviction to other people. Living with the burden, carrying it, stewarding it through our lives, in itself will bring conviction. It's not what we say. And so, I believe he's, he's speaking this this, I don't know why he wants to say it to you guys, honestly, because I know a little bit about your fellowship, and but I can't release this Joel 1 passage uh, last night and today. And so I want to submit that to you, that, that he is sounding the alarm even now once again. He's sounding the alarm. And that he's inviting into a deeper level these friends of the bridegroom, friendship with God. Because it's only in the context of being a friend of the bridegroom that we actually are able to hear and to rejoice in what God does. Turn to me with turn with me to John three. Turn with me to John three. Verse twenty eight. John three twenty eight. So John the Baptist. The reason uh, my book's called More Than a Prophet is because in Matthew 11, they asked John, and they asked Jesus about John, and Jesus' commentary on John's life was, because he was uh, baptizing in the wilderness, they, you know how long his ministry was? So he was prepared for 30 years, roughly. Right? For 30 years in the wilderness. Locusts and honey, all of that, right? 30 years in the wilderness. God prepared him for 30 years for about six months of ministry. Wow. 30 years for about six months. But in that six months in the Judean desert, they said up to 1.5 million Jews went out to get baptized and to hear the message of repentance. And so his ministry was marked not by signs and wonders. It says no, John did no signs and wonders. It was marked by the anointing to turn hearts and to change a nation. And so they, so the, this, uh, the Jews went out, and Jesus is asking a question in Matthew 11, saying, "What did you go out to see?" And they say, "Did you go out to see a prophet?" He says, "Yeah, he's more than a prophet. I believe he didn't just operate as a prophet, though he was, but he was operating as a friend of the bridegroom here in John 3. Meaning, he was he was a prophet. He declared the truth, and he pointed to Jesus. He said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." In John 1. But he was more than that in his intimate relationship where he was a friend of the bridegroom. It's in John 3. It's the only place that's used in the scriptures in John 3. 
And John's speaking about Jesus, and he's talking about himself, he talks about Jesus as the bridegroom, and he says, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. It's very interesting because in our understanding now, we understand the church to be the bride. But back then, that was totally revelatory in John's day. That Jesus would be a bridegroom, and that the people of God would be, would be the bride, and that there was a future wedding where they were equally yoked in love and maturity together. That was totally radical in his day. He was prophesying, saying, the what? Well, let's read it here in John 3.28. He says, You yourselves are my witnesses, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. For this joy of mine has been made full. And here, there's so much in this passage, but it says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Meaning, the bride, the bridegroom Jesus, he already has the bride. Beloved, the cross was for the payment to purchase the bride for all eternity and to bring her into maturity for the payment of God was finished and final that he would have an equally yoked bride from every tribe, tongue, and nation. John saw that and says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He is the one that's going to lay down his life to the, to the greatest degree that he would purchase this bride for the generations to come. And from every kind of nation, he would have an inheritance that would be equally yoked and mature in the last days. That would partner with him to reign over the nations, to bring in the great harvest of souls, to see all of Israel saved, and to see the gospel witness into every nation. He says, but Jesus says, I'm paying for that bride with my blood. It was a stamp that he's saying, I'm purchasing her by my blood. And the resurrection was the validation that the bride is your son. The resurrection that, Jesus, that the Father accepted the payment for the blood. That's why it says we are redeemed or bought or purchased by God through the blood. And so that's called salvation. Well, look, it's way more than salvation. From God's perspective, He's saying, no, I'm purchasing an equally yoked bride for you. It's so amazing salvation. It's not, I just said yes to Jesus. Well, that's the entrance point. It's walking with Him. It's knowing His heart. It's understanding it. It's partnering with Him. It's being used by Him. There's so much more in salvation than just saying, I said yes to Jesus. I said a prayer. And we've reduced the gospel and relationship with God to just say Come and say a prayer and come to church. Look, He wants us to rule and to reign with Him. Both now and the age to come. And He's preparing vessels now to be mouthpieces and messengers to be used to transition the earth and bring revival to the nations. Now we are living in a glorious time that the prophets spoke about. We're, we're at the very end of this of the spectrum of human history on this age. And we are not just fortunate, we're blessed to be alive in this hour. All the things that they prayed for, we are going to see with our very eyes. And he's, and he's prophesying this saying, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. And John says, but I'm a friend of the bridegroom. Meaning he has this intimate relationship where he's all about the bridegroom's joy. There's three things here. He's, his joy is, is uh, intricately mixed or it's uh, defined by the bridegroom's joy. Meaning when the bridegroom receives, he goes, I'm all in for. He says, when he's happy, when his purpose is done, when his will is accomplished, he says, my joy is made full. He says, I'm not in it for myself. I'm not in it. If I follow Jesus, what will he give me? 
That's okay at the entrance point. But when you've been touched and you've been humble, it's no longer what's in it for me, it's Jesus, what's in it for you? You're the one that's worthy. You're the one that paid the price. You're the one that's seated on the throne. It's all about Jesus and we're uh, grafted into that promise and saying, Jesus, I'm in it for you, not for me. And that, that's that intimate relationship as a friend of the bridegroom, that's what John was saying. He's saying, I will lay down my life I would be the forerunner to announce him. But you know where he spent most of his time after the wilderness and after his preaching? He was in jail. It says he was in jail for up to two and a half years before he was beheaded. Meaning he saw almost none, if, if none, of the ministry of Jesus. Though he prepared the way, he announced it. That tells you his heart was not in it for himself, but it was in it for Jesus. And as a friend of the bridegroom, there's three descriptions here in verse 29. It says, he stands, he hears, and he rejoices. And let's go over this briefly. I believe standing is ministering to the Lord. We're called to be, to, as New Testament priests, to minister to the Lord. All of us have access before that throne. Look, as sons and daughters, as New Testament priests, our primary identity and our primary success is not finances, it's not a title, it's standing before that throne of grace before Jesus. Whether we work uh, at a secular job or you know, a business owner, it doesn't matter. It's positioning our hearts to stand before Him and minister to Him. He says that's the first thing. But in doing that, we, in doing that, the Lord will begin to speak to us. It says here, He stood, He stands, and He hears. And I believe it's, it's an invitation, meaning as we stand and minister to the Lord, He will release divine assignments. He will release His burdens. The burdens of God, and I know some of you, just knowing you, you guys have been through seasons where you've carried God's burden. The burdens of God are precious in His sight. He doesn't just give it to anybody. Instead, He entrusts us with and so that, I believe it comes in the place of standing. Standing is an Old Testament picture of ministering to the Lord. And as we minister to Him and say, Jesus, you're worthy. And we declare of Him what the Scripture says. We make His name great. And we just speak it out to Him. As we do that, God will say, He'll start releasing His burden. Or He'll speak to us. And we need to hear His voice. And in those burdens, He, he says, this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I'm doing. And they can be individual or corporate or national or international. But if you ever carry a burden, they're not easy. And they'll weigh you down at times if you, if you don't know how to steward it. But John stood before the Lord and standing, he hears what God say, and Jesus is saying, and I believe it's an invitation to partnership. Those burdens that he gives... And if we respond to Him right, it's an invitation to partner with Him. Because government and the economy of God comes from the place of intercession first. In God's economy, the way He orchestrates, and the way He works, is we win in the place of intercession. We establish the place of intercession. Now the intercession and prayer is not plan B. Right? Even to, for Jesus. If you look at Psalm 2, he says, I am going to give you the nations. And, I would, and we would think this, like, of course, Jesus deserves the nations. He's the uncreated God. He has no sin. Well, if you look at Psalm 2, I believe it's verse 8, 
it says that, it says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. So even with Jesus, the Father says, come, eternal son, I want to give you the nations, but I'm not going to just give them to you because you're inherently worthy. I'm going to give it to you because we dialogue together in this place of intercession and prayer because it's partnership Jesus with the heart of His Father. And in that place, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. And so prayer and intercession is not plan B. It's the way God governs. It's what Jesus does even now. Hebrews 7.25, He lives forever to make intercession. And when we partner with His heart in the place of intercession, we begin to govern and, and steward the burden He gives. Does that make sense? And so, John, as a friend of the bridegroom, in this place of intimacy, and I believe he's inviting us into this place. Saying, come and stand with me. Come and hear my voice. Just come and hear what's on my heart. The deep things on this heart, on Jesus. I tell you, he, he doesn't give it to everybody. And I, and I believe he doesn't have a lot of friends to give it to. I believe that he doesn't just give the deep things of his heart. In Psalm 25 it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. Look, there's not a lot of the fear of the Lord in the church. There's not a lot of fear of the Lord in our lives. I'm talking about me too, in our lives. It says, The secret of the Lord is given to those who fear His name. It says, Those who cultivate that fear of the Lord. It says, I'm going to tell you things that in friendship you will give. It's John 15. And so here, I believe in hearing God, He's inviting us to partnership. He's saying, there's things I want to do. There's things I want you to understand. There's things I want you to be part of for my kingdom's sake. And I think we're just getting the tip of the iceberg usually. And then we're so excited about that tip, we go blast it on Facebook. We blast it to our friends. It's like, no. It's like, it's not just talking. You haven't, you haven't done it yet. You might know it. You might understand it. And you might agree with it. I haven't carried my heart yet. And carrying his heart will establish his kingdom. And so there's a place of standing, a place of hearing, and a place of rejoicing. And it's, this kingdom's been established, his work's been done. I'll, I'll be glad when you guys have a building. Because then we can go all night. <laughs> Let's let's just a couple minutes. Let's just turn to one passage. It's Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven. It's verse seven. I'm going to tie some of this together here for us as we end. Hebrews eleven, verse seven. It says, "By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen." In reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so if you know the story of Noah, he prepared the ark. I believe Noah, as he was standing, as he was found righteous, the Lord spoke to him and invited him to build this ark. And can you imagine building an ark for a hundred years? Plus, everyone's making fun of you. But what Peter tells us was that Noah was a preacher of righteousness in his day. But we have no record of him preaching. We actually have no record of Noah preaching. And here it tells us this, in verse 7, it says, Being warned by God about things not yet seen, 
those things that aren't yet seen come when we receive the burden of God. If He wants to establish something prophetically, that's why He gives us those burdens. He wants to change things. He wants to establish things. They're not yet seen. They yet haven't yet happened. He says, I'm going to give it to you. And so Noah here, though he heard, he heard God, the things not yet seen, says in reverence he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. That's this next phrase. So in preparing the ark and in building the ark, look what God says he did. He condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. Meaning, it was through his obedience and his actions to the things that were not yet seen. It was his stewarding the burden or carrying the burden or in obedience to the burden of God. It wasn't so much what he said, it was the lifestyle that he lived that condemned the world. It was the lifestyle that he lived in the way he became an heir of God. It was the burden of God was incorporated into his life. I think one of the hardest things about church, I love church, right, is this. We hear so many messages, we agree with what the pastor says or a visitor says, and we go home and it's gone. We don't do it. We hear it, we all agree with it. We say it's right, we say amen, we say yes, and you know, we give money to it. Well, there's very little change in the church. Why? Because it doesn't affect our lifestyle. It doesn't affect our lifestyle. We have, agreement is not doing it. Just because we agree, until in the West, especially the West, we think we agree, we've done it, we believe it. It's not that at all. Instead, I think what God's after is this. Stop speaking so much, stop blasting all over Facebook and social media, and start doing what I tell you. <laughs> if you really believe what I'm saying, and you get a burden from God, Say, why don't you live it out? Let it change your lifestyle. Let it change the way you spend time. Let it change your prayer life. Let it change your, 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 uh, your, your marriage. Let it change the way you speak to your kids. Let it go through you so that it will be real to you. In doing that, you actually become a preacher of righteousness and you condemn the world. And they will notice it more than what our words say. And so as we stand before him, I believe he's saying, I'm inviting you into this deeper place. Where's Cody? You going to come and play a little bit? It's 8.01. I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to do it. I'm good on time. I, don't go, I, don't, I say, yes, sir. I don't go over time. Uh, and so I want you to hear me. There's the alarm bells are sounding in our nation. And we, and I believe in the Spirit, it's sounding. And we need to hear what God's saying. We need to stand before Him. Amen. Individually and corporately. And that takes time. It takes priorities. It takes a changing of lifestyles. Most people are too busy for God. I tell you, most people are too busy for God. Not with their mouths, but with their lifestyle. And with their pocketbooks. They're too busy for God. They'll give a little bit, a few dollars on the offering, and they think they're doing God a favor. So God doesn't need your money. Right? He's after your full obedience. And so, it's like, we need to stand before Him. Our lifestyles have to change. Where Jesus is the first priority. Jesus, and that means the way we spend our time, our relationships, how we talk, how we spend our money. I'd say, I'd say, I can look at your calendar, and look at your, and look at your uh, checkbook, and I'll tell you exactly how your relationship 
You can look at mine too. It's the exact same. Right? We prioritize. He's saying as we hear the alarm bells, I believe he's saying, come. He's inviting us. He's saying there's a greater work he wants to do in our nation. And he's looking for groups like this. Saying, who will respond to me? Who will hear what I'm saying? Who will say yes? They'll, they'll turn and return with their hearts and rend their hearts. And then they'll come into the house of God and they'll start crying out together. So who will carry the burden of God by your lifestyle? Love it, having a prayer meeting. You know, it used to be common in churches to have a prayer meeting. We used to do church all day Sunday. In the morning and then at night again. We had a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And you have a Bible study. You go Sunday morning all day. Now it's like you come to church once a, one, like twice a month and you're a member. Right? It's like our fear of the Lord, our lifestyles are so diluted right now. And we're just thankful to have people to come into the, and sit in these chairs. Love it. I don't care if you come into these chairs. We want those whose hearts are burning. They're the ones that are going to influence heaven and affect the world. Right? It's not just Joe Schmo out there just begging them to come and, and join our little group. We don't need that, I mean, in a good way. You know, it's like, that's not what he's after. It's like, I want hearts that are fully, fully his. And so I want to challenge you tonight. And say, give it all to Jesus. He's inviting us into this deeper place. Where whatever you can do, wherever you are, how much time you have. He's like, come, be a friend of the bridegroom. Let's, let's be in it for him and not for ourselves. Let's stand before him, whether it's in your home or together or how you do it. And then let's start receiving the burden of God, the oracle of God. I didn't mention this. The burden of the Lord is the same Hebrew word as the oracle of God, which means it has a prophetic destiny in it. The oracle of God is, if you look here in a lot of the minor prophets, they say it's the oracle of God, meaning they spoke the word of God out. Well, it's the same word, meaning the burden of God has a prophetic future, prophetic destiny in it, in what God gives us. That's why it's connected to the things not yet seen. The things He's laying on us, it hasn't been done yet. The things He wants to do in our nation hasn't been done yet. He doesn't want to just do the Great Awakening all over again. Well, He wants to bring another awakening that's different, that's marked for our day. Lord, I will end up that He's inviting us to so the burden that He gives us is specific to us. He's the Creator God. Let's come and stand together.
You're saying, I want to respond. Whether you're, you're an intercessor, you've been tired. It's one of my burdens. Lots of intercessors are tired. Whether you're an intercessor, you've been tired, or saying, no, this is fresh. You're saying, I want to respond to this. My heart's saying yes. It's alive right now. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what he's going to say, but I'm all in for Jesus. So if that's any of you, I want to invite you up. Let's just say general prayer together here.
Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.